We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, we come today broken. We come today in need of spiritual revival in our hearts, in our lives. And God, I know that you are in control and you are sovereign and that you uh, work in our lives at different times. But my hope is, Lord, that you will continue to draw us to yourself, that we might be more made into the image of Christ. We pray that you will keep us bold for the sake of Christ. While many around us, God, denounce you and, and our faith, they mock us, they call us narrow, and, and desire us to be put down for what we believe. And God, the reality is as many fold in our day, especially young people. We're living in a time of spiritual famine. And I pray for these kids as they graduate, as they step out into the college world, where they will be placed under direct persecution for the gospel of Christ. And I pray, God, today that you will protect them, that you will bring to your, their remembrance all that you've said to them. And that they will be bold and strong for the sake of Jesus. Don't allow them to be led away by some vain philosophy or man's idea, but God, help them and help us. We plead, we beg for you to keep us bold. God, today I pray that you use me and empower me for the Holy Spirit that I might preach your word with accuracy and ultimately that you might be glorified. And I pray you prepare the hearts of us as we listen to your word that we might be transformed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Well, this morning I, I wanted to start out with a story. I, I find it pretty funny that um, Friday I, I spent a good bit of the day in the hospital visiting a young lady. And while I was there, they were uh, serving her food. And so, you know, we were sitting around and... and they brought this jello to the table. And, and nobody really said anything, but we noticed she didn't eat it. And so um, the, 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 the doctor, the people came in, they said, you want us to throw it away? And mom said, no, don't throw it away. And, uh, but we were kind of eyeing that jello, you know. We, I like jello, <laughs> you know. And so we were eyeing it, and, and, and obviously mom wanted it, so I just kept my mouth shut. And, and anyways, but, but what it reminded me of is a, is a story that I heard yesterday that I'm telling you about made me kill over. I laughed so hard, and, 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 and I thought it would be good to share with you this morning. There's a story of a pastor that, that goes to the hospital to meet this young lady who's having all of her teeth removed. And while they're there in the hospital, um, he comes and the pastor walks in and he gets there and the young girl's sleeping. And much like I was with the jello, 
He, on the other hand, sees a, a can of peanuts sitting on the side table. Well, she's sleeping. There's nobody in there. He's bored out of his mind. He's pretty hungry. And so he reaches over and if, if you're like me, you can't just eat one peanut. You've got to eat multiple peanuts. And so he grabs a peanut and he begins to eat. Well, next thing you know, they're all gone. Well, he feels kind of bad, and so anyway, she wakes up, and they communicate, and they talk, and he prays with her, and then he, he says, well, I'm going to leave, and I'll be back in a little while, and when I come back, I'll bring you some more peanuts, because I ate all your peanuts, I'm going to buy you a new can of peanuts. And she said, listen, don't bother, it's okay, don't worry about it, because I can't eat the peanuts anyways, all I do is put the put them in my mouth and suck the chocolate off and put them back in the can. <laughs> so, I'm glad I didn't eat the Jell-O. <laughs> well, I thought I'd start out with a joke to loosen you up this morning. That way if I preach long, you, you won't call me Pharaoh and say, let us go, let us go. <laughs> We're still working through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we, we have discussed many points throughout the first uh, chapter and into the second chapter. But the, the first two chapters that we've looked at here in chapter 2, last week we discussed a few things. Um, and how Peter responds to the Christian faith. That's what we've discussed in all the way from chapter 1 into chapter 2, all the way to verse 12. We see Peter's response to the Christian faith. We looked last week at Peter's push to present acceptable sacrifices. Number one, we saw... Uh, the need to continuously come to Christ. We saw the need to continuously bring acceptable sacrifices to God as well. We noted that we were living stones. And, and we're living stones, we're choice, we're precious in the sight of God just like Jesus Christ. Because when we place our trust in this Savior, this Jesus, we uh, somehow, way, inherit, we are adopted into the family of God and we receive the benefits of Jesus. Uh, let, let me say it this way. If, if, if I were to be invited to a professional football game and I was invited by one of the players and I went there and I got to sit in the nice box seat and eat of the nice food, it would not be because of anything that I've done but because I was invited by the professional football player. He's the one who's doing everything. I'm just reaping the benefits of who he is. And so that's what, the, that what, that's what we see that we have in Christ. We receive the benefits from Christ. Then we saw our needs. And that's why our needs to present acceptable sacrifices to God. So that we're not giving in vain. We can give our lives for the sake of Christ. We can give all the money in the world to the Lord. We can do this and we can do that for our Savior, our King. But if we do it in a life of habitual sin, we do it in vain. We do not want to be like those in Isaiah that it says burden God. And God says, I don't hear their prayers. We, when we pray and when we, we want to do things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do those things, we need to do them in holy, repented hearts. Those are how we bring acceptable sacrifice. But this week we're looking at Peter's position on who we are. In Christ. Here at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, 
which I skipped last week due to time. And we are He's talking to a people that are disobedient. He's speaking these words because of their willingness, their unwillingness to believe in this Jesus Christ, this Savior, this cornerstone, which He's talked about in verses 4 all the way into 8, which God Himself laid, if you remember, and that is Jesus Christ. Because of this, they were adopted, they were appointed, excuse me, to this stumbling. But you remember, God is in the business of saving souls, not sending people to hell. That's not God's main desire, is to send people to hell. No, God's main desire is to bring people into the family of God. And so really, um, this stumbling that we see here opens the door for you and for me to receive the gospel. Romans 11 um, really expresses this as we read here Romans chapter 11 and verse 30 to 32. It says this, For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. They were a stumbling block and to this they were appointed so that the fact that we could be brought into the family of God. The stumbling that God appoints was for the purpose of bringing souls back. Well, today is the day of salvation, but many reject the chief cornerstone in our day. No different than they were stumbling over Jesus then. The Jewish people could not accept this Messiah. He didn't match up to what they thought He would be. But as long as you have breath in your life, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you can still turn to the God of the universe. We don't close the door on any sinner because yet I was a sinner forgiven 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. And I'm glad somebody didn't give up on me and we're not going to give up on you. And if you're here today and you're not a believer and you want to know about this King, this Jesus, I hope that by the time we finish, you will have a clear understanding of Peter's position and what it is on Christianity. With that context in mind, let us get right into our text this morning. If you will, turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. Let us read. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. But now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds as they observe them. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, in this passage, there's two things that I really want you to take home with you today. Two points that I want you to get and understand. 
Number one is we must understand who we are in Christ. Secondly, we must understand how to act as Christians. Here in the first two verses, Peter gives us six descriptions of of who we are in Christ. And Peter wants us to understand that we are different. And so he gives us several things to express who God has made us and what He has made us for. He says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here Peter is drawing contrast between the disobedient and the unbelieving Jewish people and Christian people whether Jew or Gentile. And so we see our first point is that we need to understand who we are in Christ. That is why he starts out with this, but you are. But you are. You, again, is plural. It's talking about y'all. So, but y'all are. That's how we say it in the South. You see, he has brought us in direct connection with the previous verses. You are a chosen race, or you could say you are a chosen generation, and we need to understand what that means to be chosen. Because no matter where you stand theologically, some of you may not even be there yet, but some of you are, and you're juggling, where am I? How, how is it that I'm chosen? How does the sovereignty of God and the free will of man work together? And Where does it cross above the horizontal line before we get to the kingdom of God? Because the Bible teaches very clearly that we, who are followers of Jesus Christ, were chosen before the foundations of the world. It means that you were chosen, selected, elected, and God has written your names in the Lamb's book of life. You may be sitting there this morning not a believer, but God knows your name. And we're going to treat you like you are one of the chosen. We're going to preach the gospel to you, and we're going to try to persuade you to come to Christ. Because we believe that everybody has the same general revelation And we have the same responsibility to respond to Jesus Christ. You are chosen for ministry. To serve. To bring glory to God. That's the ultimate purpose for us as the chosen elect people of God. Look, if you are here this morning and you are walking around aimlessly in your Christian walk, you have no direction of what you're doing and your purpose and what's going on in your life, simply getting by, I want you to know that you were created for much more than that. You were created for bigger things than that. If I were to hold a pine cone in my hand and I ask you, what do you see when you see this pine cone? Hey, you say, I see a pine cone. They fall out of the tree. I got them all over the yard. I got squirrels stacking them up under the hood of my truck. I see a pine cone, Stuart. When we ask God, God, what do you see when you see this pine cone? See, God sees hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of pine trees. Because He chose to create this pine cone for a specific purpose. And aren't you and I more valuable than a pine cone? We are created in the image of God and God has designed us for bigger purposes than to walk around aimlessly as Christians. 
We are the chosen people of God. A body of believers. A corporate unity. One family. That is what we were chosen into. The family of God. But we are also considered a royal priesthood, he says. Really, I wanted to try to understand this because, and I'm just going to be honest with you, when I, when I read I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm part of the royal priesthood, I have to admit it doesn't mean much to me. Because I'm not a royal anything. I'm a royal priesthood because the Bible says so. But what does that mean? What does that look like? In light of our everyday life, how can that excite me? How can that make me jump up and down and say, yes, I'm a royal priesthood? Well, in trying to understand this, um, I thought that, that, that really priest uh, really meant that one that brought sacrifices on behalf of others to God so that they could sacrifice animals on this altar to forgive them of their sins. That's what I thought of. And while that's true, if you remember though, Jesus has become our sacrifice. We don't need priests like that anymore. That's not what it's speaking of here. But we are a royal priest. That means we are in the family of God. We work, we serve the holy king of, of heaven. That's who we serve and therefore we serve the royal king. Therefore we're royal priests. The early idea of priest didn't seem to be that of one that brought sacrifices, but one that was to bring the knowledge of God to the world. And so now we serve a king as the church of Jesus Christ, built on the cornerstone for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel to people. That's what we are as holy royal priests. That's our responsibility, is to proclaim the knowledge of God to the world, that's what it is. He also says here we're a holy nation. Peter's getting this from Exodus 19.6. He says this, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. They were called to be holy, set apart. And to reveal this holy God. And so now we are a holy nation. Now, when I say that, I mean the body of Christ is a holy nation. Because boy, in light of the nation in which we live in today, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. We're not a holy nation. I want it to be a holy nation built on Christian foundations, but year after year after year we get further away from the Scripture. We are committing worship to idols. We commit murder every day, every few seconds and call it legal. We support things as a nation that God calls an abomination. Christians, in the name of Jesus, pastors will stand up here and preach that homosexuality is not wrong. I'm sitting here, listen, I'm debating with believers on the internet that homosexuality is not wrong. You can't take Leviticus. You can't take Genesis 19. You can't take 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. You can't take Romans 1, 24 to 27. You can't take the book of Jude and tell me homosexuality is not an abomination to God. 
Is it offensive? Yes. Because our culture says it's okay. But this book doesn't say it's okay. And I'm called to preach this book. And we are called to be a holy nation set apart. And that looks different from what they offer out there. We need not to forget that in the midst of pain, trials, arguing and debate, hate the sin, but don't forget to love the sinner. Because God's message from back to front is forgiveness. He wants to bring people to Himself. And that's why we see things like John 3.16 and all the other places that says God is patient. He wishes none to perish but all to come to repentance. What do we look like as Christians? Do we look differently than the nation that we live in? Well, as a holy nation of Christians, we should look different. And we should be opposed to anyone that supports such things that God points out as sin. And we shouldn't submit to some false teaching, some heretical teaching, so that we can attract people to our church. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to love them into the church. We're going to offend people. By being a holy nation. We can't help it. The Bible is offended. I'm offended when I read it. I know an unbeliever is going to be offended when they read it. But we have to be set apart a holy nation. But all of this is put together. All of this comes together and then we're called a people of God's own possession. We are a people claimed by God for His own. I'm not my own. I can't make my own decisions to do what I want without seeking God's counsel because I'm not my own. I'm possessed by Him. Just like my children. They can't choose to do what they want. They have to ask me because they're under my authority. And we'll talk about submission and those things next week. But here we're claimed by God for His own and you've been chosen by God to be His people. You are different than unbelievers because you were adopted in the family of God and God sees you as His own. There's there's hope in that. There is wonderful hope in that. You know, my family, we're still praying about adoption. I know we got five number five on the way now. But we've still been praying if God wants us to adopt, that He would allow us to do that. And the reality is, if those young girls were adopted in our family, they would become our possession. They'd, they'd come. They would be our children. They would receive our last names. They would be our children. They would come under our authority. They would receive the insurance that I have. They would receive the benefits of being in the family. And that's what we do when we're in the family, God. We receive the benefits of being a chosen possession of God. But that comes with responsibility. We are His possession and we are to be used as Israel was to share our faith. God chose the nation of Israel to proclaim His goodness. And Jesus became a stumbling block. 
They failed time and time again. It opened the door for us as Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, to come into the relationship with Jesus Christ. And now we are the chosen people, the church in which God has placed Jesus as the cornerstone to proclaim to man. All of these things that Peter are listing, we are to understand and for a purpose. And that purpose is that we might proclaim His excellences. It says here, So that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who has called you out of darkness to the marvelous light. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind and now you see. You lived in the darkness of sin, in bondage, and now Christ, the light of the world, has brought you to the light. And because of these things, you should be proclaiming the goodness and the excellences of God before men out there. We live in a nation, in a, in a church movement, that, that preaches a social gospel that, oh boy, we can, we can get people just by being good to them. No, we need to proclaim the excellences of God. That's what we need to do. It's not about us. It's about God. It's all about God. This whole book's about bringing glory and honor to God, not about me being something special. It's all about bringing glory to God. But listen, it's infiltrating into the churches, it's infiltrating into our daily lives, it's infiltrating into TV, the radio, media, all of this. We are chosen to bring God glory. Today's music is all about me, I, me. Jesus died for me. It's all about God. So that we can bring glory to Him. That we can exalt His name before men. You know the famous 23rd Psalm. As you read that. It seems to point right here. This is about me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. But listen, the big picture. For His name's sake. He does all of these things so that He might be glorified. Because when God is glorified and exalted, people out there begin to desire that. It's not about us. It's all about God. It's for His name's sake. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the goodness, the excellences of God. He has explained who we are in Jesus Christ. All of these four things that we've just listed are who we are in Christ and they affect us. And obviously I don't have the time to go into five pages on each one of those things. And so I suggest you go back and begin to study each one of those and how they affect your lives. 
Because the reality is, is He gives us these four things and then He gives us the what for. God wanted Israel to praise Him and now the church of Jesus Christ is the one who needs to be praising Him. Check out this in Isaiah uh, 43 verse 7 it says, Everyone who is called by my name and to, to whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. There is no doubt that God's purpose is about bringing glory to Himself in the reality as a church, as a royal priesthood, we should be doing these things to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ before men and tell of people of His greatness. That's our, listen, they can argue this till they're blue in the face. They can't argue a testimony. They can't argue a, a, a life. When my friends see me, they say, Dude, you are the worst pagan. How are you preaching? That's the mercy and grace of God. Because what I was and what I am now is like Paul on the road to Damascus. You can't be bad enough to turn God away. Because if I'm up here, you can be in the kingdom of God. And I think every believer would raise their hand and say, Amen, I can agree to that. And when we look at Paul, he persecuted Christians, he killed them, he, he sought out to have them beat and whipped for the purpose of, of, of turning people from Christ, and yet God chose him <laughs> to be one of His main men to write so many books of the New Testament. You're not bad enough. You're like JV bad. Paul's like varsity. And if God can save him, He can save a JV guy. We can do better as Christians. We may be doing good, but we can always do better. We should strive every day to do better. We should strive every day to become more like Christ. We should strive every day to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better children, to be better friends. Because we've never arrived until we see Jesus face to face. The purpose of God's people is to witness to the greatness of the one true Creator and Redeemer God. Then he continues to explain what we are in Christ. He gives us other things. He says here in 1 Peter 2, chapter, I mean chapter 2, verse 10, For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because of verse 8, I believe that that He is showing us that we as Gentiles were not the chosen people of God. The Jewish people were the chosen. They're still the chosen people of God. And when Jesus came onto the scene, He was appointed as a stumbling block for the purpose of opening the door for all people. Now some will teach, oh, this is, this is a... This is a point in which God elects some for heaven and some for hell. And I would say that's, that's not correct. That's not in the context. Because He appointed the stumbling block, Jesus Christ, and those that have rejected Messiah. And because of that, we are now the people of God. And we received mercy. God's plan has always been to redeem His people. And we've looked at it in Romans eleven thirty to 32 Let us read it in whole again. Teach us that because 
they have rejected and we have been given grace and now be, become the people of God, both Jews and Gentiles. Don't you see that it was appointed in verse 8 so that we could have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. Because they disobeyed, we see mercy. We have mercy. This was the predetermined plan by God. This was the reason for their appointment. And His purpose was to show all mercy because there, in verse 32, it says this, God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. All. We are His people, both Jew and Gentile now. And we are grateful for God's big plan, big picture. Because it includes all people, not just Jews. Because I don't know about you, but I don't come nowhere close to a Jewish descent. And I praise God for bringing Jesus into the picture. Allowing Him to, to be a stumbling block so that we might receive the grace of God. We must understand who we are in Christ. And that's, while that's important, we must also understand how to act as Christians. We are now switching from the informational to the transformational. We're, we, were, we were looking at information, now we're looking at the indicatives, a command. These are commands and Peter wants us to know how we should act. He says in 11 to 12, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Two things He calls us to. He calls us to abstain from lustly flesh and to keep our behavior excellent. Two things uh, that are vital within the universal body of Christ, and many of them were missing in America today. We are still aliens and strangers, don't forget. That goes all the way back to verse 1. We're not of this world. We as Christians live in a foreign land, and we wait on our kingdom to come. We wait on our home to be with Jesus. And how we look different is by abstaining from fleshly lust and keep an excellent behavior. Please understand this has nothing to do with salvation. These are Christian people. He says, beloved. He calls them beloved. These are followers of Christ. He's wanting them to live lives of good behavior. He would never ask an unbeliever to live lives of good behavior because he knows they can't do it. But he's speaking to Christians here. But how is it that we deal with the lives around us? How is it that we deal with impacts we make in our daily lives? If you remember, these Christians are suffering Christians. These Christians are going through persecution. They are being beaten and maybe even killed for their faith. Okay? The Christians of that day... They ain't got what we got. They ain't got the freedoms that we have. They are, they are Christians and realities. There are Christians all across the world right now, today, that are suffering for the sake of Christ. And yet we have the freedom to come in and worship and to sit here for five hours and worship God. God. 
And their relationship with God blows mine out of the water. They make me feel like, wow, I've got some, some evaluating to do in my life because I don't worship like they worship. I watched a video this week that spoke of a people called the Quran people and how they are being persecuted for their faith as we speak. A brutal government that hunts these Christians down and kills them to keep their faith out of the country. But the worship I saw in this video, kids praying for hours. You know what they're praying for? The people who have just killed their mother and father. That they watched brutally murder them. And they're in an orphanage with a bunch of other kids whose mommy and daddy's been killed. And they're praying with their hands raised. Praying at 4 a.m. every morning they wake to pray for their persecutors. And there are soldiers that walk by and they see them doing it. And they come and they sit and they listen to the service. They're winning souls to come and hear the gospel because of their behavior. These people love God. And I feel like they love God more than I ever can in America. Because my life is divided. It's distracted by everything in this world. My time my entertainment, my desires. It says abstain. Abstain comes with an idea not only of refraining from indulging in it or in something, but not allowing it to dominate your life. You see, this is what keeps us from having what they have. It's part of it. So fleshly lust. Now, listen guys, when I say fleshly lust, I'm not just, I'm not just speaking about sexual things. I, I know that's where our minds go when we talk about lust. Because of what we see in Matthew chapter 5. But the reality is, is this is not speaking so much of just that. It's speaking of anything that dominates your life in the flesh. Xbox Live users... You, you may think that's silly still, right? Trust me. Personal experience. Xbox Live users, compare the hours that you spent online compared to the hours you spent with God. Balance it. Facebook users, examine the time that you spend online compared to how you spend your time with God. Retired people, how much time do you spend traveling and entertaining compared to the time you spend with God? Young people with cell phones. This is huge. <laughs> this is stinking huge in our day. I mean, when I was in high school, I was riding around with a bag phone pretending it worked. <laughs> and now you can't walk anywhere across any place without somebody texting I mean, they ought to come up with a sign. You know, they say there's, there's increase in death because of walking and texting. I mean, people are so consumed with texting, they walk across the road and bam, they get hit by a car. Am I guilty? Yeah, I drive down the road. 
But the reality is, is it's infiltrated us. It demands our attention. And so we have to evaluate how much time do we spend talking, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? You sleep yet? No. You? They just sit in the hours on the phone. And then if it's not on the phone, secondly, how much time do you spend texting compared to how much time you spend with God? If you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch because the reality is, is I've heard the numbers, the averages of how many texts we see kids doing. It's like 7,500 a month. That's like 20 hours a week texting. And some up to around 15,000-ish. 30 hours a week. On top of school. I mean, that's crazy. But it demands our time. Fleshly lust. Doesn't have to be sexual things. It can be sexual things. But it can be anything that drives us and dominates our life that we desire in the flesh. We have to have an evaluation of our lives. The, the, the Greek word that is used here for lust is epithuma. Epithuma. Okay, it means this. It means longing, the desiring, or craving. It could be food. I like to eat. I'm not going to say I crave it like I'm going to die if I don't get it. But there are some I know that struggle with that. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow these fleshly cravings to dominate our lives. What is it in your life that you desire, that you crave, that you long for? What fleshly thing? Listen, they all, this, this should hit every one of us at home at some, somewhere. I mean, I, when I read this, I was thinking, gee whiz, you know? I mean, I've put away the, the game stations, I've put the kids' game stations away, I've taken away media, and I've. But there's still things in my life that I struggle with. And I'm not saying we have to put those things away that they're no good. There are they're fun things we can do. But we have to make sure that they don't dominate our lives. Because the reality is, if we do something long enough, boy, it becomes a habit. And it will dominate our lives. Peter says abstain from these things. And, and abstain means to hold oneself off. To hold oneself off. That seems like self-control. Which is very hard. But through the power of Christ we can do all things. But you must first desire Christ because we do what we want to do. We do what our heart desires. And if our desire is to serve Christ, then we will evaluate how much we time, time we spend in media... And how much time we spend with God. And then if we desire God, like we should as believers and followers of Christ, then we should begin to make steps of progress in becoming less dependent on these fleshly lusts. Galatians uh, 5.17 says this, For the flesh says his desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. We abstain from these fleshly lusts by walking in the Spirit. And the only way that we can walk in the Spirit is to be infiltrated with the Word of God in prayer 
and time spent with our Creator. It wages war against our good side, so to speak. If we are heavy on the flesh, we'll be heavy on the bad. If we're heavy on God, then we'll be heavy on the good. That, that's just the result. That's God's ultimate plan. And all of these things affect our behaviors. And we are called to behave. Christians should be characterized by good conduct. Again, it's not about you, it's about God, and your conduct affects those around you. Now, would I ever say that we shouldn't live good, holy lives and that it would affect people? Yeah, but I've never had a person come to me and say, Man, you're such a godly man, I want to be saved. I want what you got. Never, never happened. And I, and I would venture to say that it's not ever happened to many of you. But God calls us to have good, godly conduct for the purpose of making people desire what we have. When we behave and we follow the things of Christ, we desire. When I watched that video and I watched those people being persecuted, I wanted what they had because they were obedient in hard times. They worshipped God whether their life was on the line or not. And you know what? If I'm struggling with eating and you're doing a good job and you're healthy and you're eating good, guess what? I want to eat good and be healthy. We influence people by our conducts. We can't forget to share the gospel with them because it is by the word which people are saved. These people were not accepted. They were aliens and strangers, Jesus freaks. And I wonder how many of us are known as Jesus freaks. When I worked in the construction business, man, they called me a Jesus freak. Because every time that we got together, I talked to them about Jesus. And nothing else to talk to you about Jesus. They knew if I was coming up, they were going to hear something about Jesus. Or I was going to ask them how their walk's going. How are you doing? Let me encourage Let me pray for you. Do people know us as Jesus freaks? They call me a Jesus freak. I'm a pastor. You know, I'm, I'm up here and y'all are down here, you know. No. We're on the same level. I'm called to do something different. But we are all should be known differently. Kalos is the Greek word used for good. It means morally good. And so when we are to have good behavior, it's morally good behavior. These people were accused of can cannibalism. I mean, think about it. Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And the people said, dude, this teaching's way too hard. Many of them left. Not these people, they stayed. And this is what's being taught. And so people are saying, dude, you're eating people. What do you mean eat? If you eat of my flesh, that's cannibalism. They accused them of incest and other things. But they were to, to behave for the reason that they may, because of good deeds, as they observe them, glorify, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter's desire was that his readers witness positively to non-believers for their lives. So it is more likely that in the day of visitation, referring to the time of their salvation, when God comes to visit them through the power of the Holy Spirit with mercy and grace, that they would respond. When we live for Christ, we draw attention to people around us, and when we blend, we look like lizards hiding on a lump. We have no effect in people's lives. 
And as I watched the video, Beware of Christians this week, it's, they walked around, they asked people, what's the difference between you and Christians? You know what they said? Nothing. Only difference is they're busy on Sunday. Boy, I hope I'm known for more than a busy Christian on Sunday. Not for my glory. Not so you can look at me and say, oh, Stuart's a good Christian boy. No, so that God can be glorified through my life and that He can use my life to affect somebody else's life. Are you a Sunday Christian? Are you a weekly Christian? Is your life infiltrated with the gospel? Is it overflow from your mouth? Will your life affect people on the day the Holy Spirit draws them to Himself as way of application? Knowing who we are in Christ is great. It's important. But the reality is, is knowing why is vital to bring glory to God. How is it that you proclaim the goodness of God in your daily lives? Telling people about Jesus and your salvation. And what can you do? You can talk to more people at work. You can talk to people in your daily lives. Go out of your way to proclaim the gospel as royal priest. That's what we've been given as a church. Secondly, know how we as Christians are to act as important, but doing it is the hard part. I can sit up here and I can preach to you and tell you you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. But if I'm not evaluating my life and I'm not doing it, I'm just as worse as anybody else. If I don't deal with these struggles, which I do have, my wife makes me aware of them. That's my, she's my helpmate. We try to work together in getting rid of them so that we can bring more glory and honor to Christ. Listen, we need to evaluate our fleshly lusts because we all have them. We need to balance our time wisely. And I know it's hard. I know it's an addiction. People are addicted to these things. But we need to address it. And lastly, we need to behave. We need to behave. You know if you're behaving. If you are a true born-again believer, you know if you're behaving. If you're not, you need to repent and seek God's direction. And we need to hold one another accountable. In, in closing, Peter gives us here his position on who we are in Christ. And my question today is, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ, would you believe in Him? Would you begin to take the step of process of learning who He is and about His goodness and placing your trust in Jesus? Let us pray.